It was a dark and stormy night. Greetings, Attic Wives and Lit Witches, and welcome to Fuckboys of Literature. I am your host, Emily Edwards. I don't know what came first, to be honest. The opening line of this novel, which I said in the intro, or Charles Schultz's Peanuts constantly making fun of that opening line. If you've ever seen Snoopy try to write something, it often starts with, it was a dark and stormy night. I don't know if Charles Schultz and Madeline Langle were friends or if he didn't like her or anything like that. I just don't know. But I kind of love the opening of this book and I kind of love the book as a whole. Though when we get into it, I'm not sure I know why anymore. All right, everyone. Today we have two voices you will recognize from past episodes. Together we have the hosts of our podcast, or on Wednesdays we read. Say hello to Laura. Hi, Laura. How are you? Hey, great. And Hannah. Hi, everyone. This is going to be fun because we're talking about another religious book that was not my intention. (laughs) Or was it? (laughs) I swear it wasn't. For some reason, our pod gets all the religious undertones books and like... I forgot. Like, I re- like, honestly, I did too when I got to that chapter, and they're like, "Who's fighting against the black thing?" And they're like, "Oh, we've had warriors forever." You mean like Jesus? I was like, <laughs> what? What? I don't remember this. Also, just coming from a little, out? like, I'm like, listen, out of all the kids in this book who I didn't expect to believe in Jesus, that was Probably. the one. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I yeah, he's the one that's like out there, and nobody gets him. And you're like. Oh yeah, obviously the religious kid. Like, <laughs> like but he's also front of the class in Sunday school, so it's really important. <laughs> it's so weird. Like I, I started. I think the first time I read this book, I was probably about ten, and then I read it every couple of years because I'm always like, oh, I love this book, and I haven't read it since like hannah mentioned before we started recording like the movie came out the one with like chris mm-hmm. pine and it was like uh you know it's this huge like blockbuster oprah is in this like blockbuster movie and then i was like oh wait a second this book gets weirder and weirder as i get older and older <laughs> i think that was just... my experience too because i haven't read it since i was like 10 as well and i'm reading it like last night and thinking oh oh this is not what i remember oh it's so weird and also like i i understand that like you have to read this through the lens of like middle school kids or like Mm -hmm. younger grade school kids are reading this but there's so many times where i was sitting there like this is like at a breakneck speed like (laughs) two pages ago we were on earth and now we are watching kids dribble a ball in unison like i don't understand well even just like within a chapter like something happens and i'm like wait a minute how did calvin get here i don't remember (laughs) like there's no explanation for anything at any point it's just like the entire book is like i guess with the religious undertones taken on faith because it's like three (laughs) seconds like they're like we have to go see mrs who mrs witch or mrs what's it in the woods and then all of a sudden calvin is there and you're just like what i i I don't know (laughs) well and also like charles wallace at one point is like i'd like to keep mrs what's it to myself for a little while and then it's like knock knock she's right here (laughs) (laughs) how long is a little while like two minutes literally 
<laughs> the time it takes to make a liverwurst sandwich is all yeah. it takes. <laughs> that sounds disgusting also. It was like liverwurst and cream cheese and then he's also oh. heating up milk. Like all of that meal was really grossing oh, well, me out. Also, she's like, I think I'd like a little Russian caviar. And he's like, no. we're saving that for mom's birthday. And I was like, why? <laughs> what were you making? Just <laughs> throw it out. Throw it out. <laughs> Who just go? First of all, I have never been of the economic echelon where I just buy caviar just for like Same. even special occasions. Who does that? <laughs> this doesn't sound too special. I mean, <laughs> well, and random also, birthday. <laughs> and also, listen, Meg is like what the twelve-year-old or thirteen-year-old girl, and she had to eat the lettuce and tomato sandwich. Couldn't we have given her a meat? Like that just seemed rude. I was like, listen, yeah. diet culture, Hannah of the past, could not have dealt with that. Oh, well. that didn't even occur to me because I am a I vegetarian, so I was like, Buh. but you're right. It's totally like a you're twelve years old and physically unappealing to anybody but Calvin, and it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so I am of the person like I am fully admitting that I was a very horny child. Like I was very into like romance and mm-hmm. like sexual stuff. So I do remember reading this as a child and being like, oh, Calvin loves Meg. Good. And I like ate it up. And this time around I was listening and he's like, your eyes are really pretty. Don't let anyone else see them. And I was like, ew, don't do that. Like, <laughs> no. like no. <laughs> and the number of times her hair is described as like mouse brown. I'm like, that's <sighs> the worst kind of brown, I think. Like, <laughs> Please stop saying Mouse Brown. I don't like that. Madeline oh. Langle is so mean to Meg throughout. Yes. It's like the sheer introduction of Meg is like she is unlikable in every single capacity, even mm-hmm. to the point where she sees absolutely no value in herself. And I'm like, why did I like this when I was 11? Because this is horrifying. Because well, Meg my- is also a quote unquote tomboy, so that you can relate to that because she's different. Well, yeah. She goes to rough houses at recess to let off some steam. <laughs> I did appreciate like showing a girl who, when she's depressed, like actually has physical violence in her because that's, that's not something that was shown back then. I think. I guess to me it was like, but like she's not like the other girls. Yeah, <laughs> Come on. she's not like the other girls. She'll punch someone. Yeah. So I do appreciate that it was like, oh yeah, she is someone who like physically cannot handle her own depression and like let's mm-hmm. give women that chance but also at one point like that like was so mean that meg gets up during the night and pushes her hair up and it just sticks straight up and i'm like is it that greasy how does that work like that's not how gravity works this is a very scientific text like as someone with greasy hair i've never had that experience no never (laughs) once i knew a guy in college who used to stick his hair straight up in like one of those mohawks and it took literally an entire bottle of elmer's glue in order to do it and i was like that's disgusting also really high budget and also like don't do that just cut your hair it's weird it's so strange yeah yeah, poor, and not just poor like Meg. physically mean to Meg. Like th- my favorite part is the running theme is that like she's kind of smart and not really emotionally available or intelligent, or and she has no redeeming qualities whatsoever. I mean, we the only way we think that she's smart is just like picking up on some context clues because she tells us constantly like. Meg is an idiot. Everyone around her thinks she's a moron. Like, they literally call her a moron, and they're like, well, those two stupid Murray kids. The twins are okay, because they're mediocre. But (laughs) Can I tell you how much I questioned her mother's parenting style in this book this time around? Yeah. Because, like, the two twins are sitting at the table, and they're like, oh, Meg, you're such a moron. And the mom's just standing there and I was like you're not gonna step in that you're like two younger children are calling her names openly like, and the shut mom's up just your like, name is Denny's 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> With an S. Uh, have you either of you ever read the twins book that I think it's like the no. fourth in the series? It's the very horny Bible book. No. no. So I am famous. Oh, this is also like I'm famous for picking up books and being like, that was a boy book when I was little. Totally. And so I remember reading the first two of these and then finding out that like I think it's the third one that's about the twins. And I was yeah. like, absolutely not. And I walked away and I was like, I will not be reading that text. That is a boy book. You're missing out on possibly the weirdest book Madeline Langle's like ever written. Like if you think oh. this is weird, that just this takes like I think it's called like Swift Waters or something like that. It is beyond the pale levels of weird. So uh, that's that's a fun note for everybody who well, hasn't. Well, I guess read it. now I need to read it. Yeah, it's super bizarre. <laughs> like it's super bizarre. Like when I call it the horny Bible book, I am not kidding. They travel back in time to the time of Noah's Ark, I think, and they okay. discover sex because <gasps> Noah's like daughters or something like that. And there's like miniature elephants. All of it is bizarre. All of it is super bizarre. I don't know. Like, I can't even vouch for it in any capacity. Oh, my gosh. I am looking at the cover of the Many Waters book, which is what I'm assuming. And it's yes. like the two twins. One of them, like, technically, you don't see the fact that he's wearing any clothes. Like, yeah, it's just naked. like part of his arm and then a limb. And then one of them is undressing a flannel with a white tank top. Yes. He's got to be Denny's. Yeah. <laughs> so, he's definitely is- the one who's like the himbo of the two yes. of them. He's like, yes, I play sports and I like girls and I'm going to make fun of my sister. And it's like, you're a terrible human being, Dennis. <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> this is so strange. Well, in the second book, I was reading like the synopsis for it. Because I remembered that they went into Charles Wallace's mitochondria. Like, yes, I don't correct. know why that's in my brain. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, oh, yeah, that's the book where they go in there. And I was like looking at it and they go with the disgruntled principal. And I was like, what's yeah. he doing there? <laughs> like, what you mean the, the principal purpose? from the beginning of this book? The, correct. Like, later on, like the next chapter is like, I'm still holding the grudge about that. Yeah. Like That one <laughs> makes it into the next book. Uh, yeah. Mr. Jenkins, he he, oh he's a, he he appears in two books. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, okay. So the history behind this book is that Madeline Langle wrote it basically after she went on like a road trip with her family. She was moving from a very, 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 very rural town in Connecticut back to New York City. And before they like settled back into New York City, they went on a road trip and she was like, the idea just came to me and I had to write it. And it took her like four years to find a publisher and like literally got rejected by like 40 different publishers. And part of me is like, I love this book, but I see why, because it's so say, fucking It kind of makes sense. It, it's curious that it was that quick to get it published. I'm yeah. Yeah. I'm it's super confused. weird. I so I did listen to like the foreword and a part of the afterword because the afterword was done by the granddaughter, but then it became like a I loved my grandmother, but we didn't always have the best relationship. And I was like, you know what? I don't need to I don't need to know your family laundry. I've never cared. Like, <laughs> I just like exited out of it. Ooh, more. <laughs> but everyone who adores this book is always talking about like it's just it's the process of like a girl losing her father and the grief that goes along with it. And I'm like, maybe for like five pages. Yeah. <laughs> she's really not that upset because then when she finds him, she's like, what the hell, dad? You ruined everything. <laughs> My dad isn't perfect. And it's like, yeah, know. that usually comes as a realization when you're like later in your teens. So right. I get it's a little bit weird when you're 12, but no, you know, like that's a normal part of life. 
<laughs> but also, when her dad and Calvin are sitting there just eating and talking to the random aliens, and she's that like, so hey, strange. how can you just sit here? Charles Wallace is missing. And I'm yeah. always like, listen, I get it that like Meg does need to calm down in a lot of ways, but she's also right. Like She mm-hmm. is very much right in this situation. <laughs> I, too, would find that difficult. My five-year-old <laughs> brother has literally been in, uh, like abducted by the embodiment of evil, and you're just like, hmm fruitcake fuck you dad (laughs) you have to try it meg and she's like could we not for two seconds like oh oh." she's like i'm actually in a lot of pain here at the moment and you're really (laughs) pissing me off um could you please go back and get my brother because you kind of screwed everything up i really did (laughs) uh this well and then the (laughs) ant beast thing i'm like so wait a minute did she just like breastfeed from this creature and I missed out on yeah. that the first time around? I'm- yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think I skimmed over that even this time around that she yeah. breastfed from her. Yeah. I mean, it's-, it's not specifically said, but she's like, you're like an infant now and you have to be fed. And then it says yeah. like something was put in her mouth and she drank it all yeah. up. And I'm like, wait a minute. Is she breastfeeding from an alien? I'm, I'm so confused. <sighs> The the likelihood is high. <laughs> oh. Yeah. That's so yeah. strange. Well, in like again, Madeline Langle, like all of these forwards were like, no one wanted to publish this book, but children just get it. And it's like, yeah, they're not wrong, but also why? Like, yeah. I don't think that that's well, the that's next question I'm, we should be answered. Like, that's what I'm thinking. I'm questioning younger self, and I'm like, where was your brain at? Like, why were you not asking more questions? I yeah, I know. Like, this was probably, like, my first, like, big introduction into, like, proper canonical sci-fi, where it was, like, this is a big science fiction book for kids. And I remember reading it and being, like, super enamored with the idea of, like, interplanetary travel and the Tesseract and time and dimensions and stuff like that. And I think I just got so overwhelmed with the idea of basically, like, quantum physics that, like, I book bought it hook, line, and sinker, but now reading it at, like, 37 i'm like there's so much happening here that has nothing to do with quantum physics and even the quantum physics is wrong so i don't poorly explained also because it's extremely confusing once they get to the explanation of like the fourth dimension i'm like wait a minute you lost me yeah 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 i remember thinking i understood different dimensions and like fourth dimension because i read this book and as an adult i'm like no i didn't what no. made you think well and that? then you feel stupid because they're like charles wallace got it right away he didn't even have to think about <laughs> yeah. it You're like damn it this kid understands it and i still can't figure it out and they never quite explain what charles wallace's thing is they're just like he's special and you're supposed to just kind of go oh like good for him but i don't understand in what capacity charles wallace is special aside from the fact that like maybe he's the mind only reading per- i don't know he's the only person that values meg as a human being like that's literally <laughs> all you get well, also, I just uh, again, this mother's parenting style. When you have like a five year old who's like, "Mommy, let me make you a sandwich," I would be like, "No, don't yeah. do that." And then she's just like letting him wander around their yard with mm-hmm. the dog, and he's like, "Oh yes, I met these strange women, and we made friends." And she's like, "Charles Wallace, you know you're not supposed to leave the area," and he's like, "That's why I didn't tell you." And it's like, "No, you should be more concerned." Well, like, apparently, she's like coaching him on some of these things too, because later on in the book, he's like. Sorry that mom didn't get a chance to tell you about the Tesseract, Meg. She told me the one day because I wouldn't leave her alone about it. (laughs) 
What? <laughs> she is a, a person of authority. <laughs> like, I always thought that Mrs. Murray was a really interesting character because both like in the book and in the film adaptation that came on later, um, like she's depicted as far more intelligent than her husband and far more educated. They're like, well, dad's got a couple degrees in physics, but mom, like she's freaking amazing. And it's like, maybe you shouldn't cook your kids food in a laboratory. Like I remember high school science class rules. We weren't even allowed to have like a Snickers bar when we were in a science lab. Can I also point out though, that Mrs. Murray is too appealing to the point that even Calvin really has the hots for her. Oh and it's bothersome. I'm just like, stop, stop talking about her mom, please. Also, like, again, I do appreciate that in the 1960s, you could just let people be ugly. But the way he describes his mother, like, she doesn't The way that have he is described teeth. later when... <laughs> when they're looking in that crystal ball and they see her and she's like screaming at his siblings and she's got no teeth in and a bunch of wild hair and he's like sorry you had to see that (laughs) what it's like she beats his younger siblings with a wooden spoon and he's like i'm so sorry this happened to you and i'm like no it happened to your siblings perhaps you should be home like oh my god well the thing is the beating is like kind of made like lighter in the situation because they focus more on the teeth it's It's super classist like it is super Mm -hmm. she's a terrible Mm -hmm. mother because she's poor because she can't afford like a real haircut or proper dental work and it's like and apparently the murrays are just fucking rolling in it because they used to just summer in that house and Mm -hmm. now they stay there all the time and it's like first of all the government does not pay anybody that well and they're all just government scientists second of all have an ounce of self-understanding whatsoever but nah that's too much to ask I mean, I do think the Murray children are also being neglected by their mother, yes, yeah. <laughs> but like in a very different way, in a classist way, yeah. where it's like, oh, she's just out in the lab. Like, Charles Wallace will make our meal for us. He's smart. Like, what? <laughs> then you also feel bad for Mrs. Murray, though, too, when you're like, oh, she's writing letters to her husband every day because she misses him. Like, okay, well, that kind of hit me a little hard. I yeah. feel bad. Like no, every single person in the Murray family had a psychotic break at yes. some point. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, the two twins are doing just fine. <laughs> but that's they're like, weirdly well adjusted. Yeah, yeah. Like they're just like, well, dad has been back for a while. People are going to talk, Meg. And it's just like, oh, okay. Like you guys are just moving right along. Oh. oh. Yeah. I think my favorite part, though, like that kind of hit me in the stomach. They were like, the, the the twins do okay academically. It's like mostly bees. And I was like, I got mostly bees and I thought I was doing pretty good. Okay, fine. Thanks. Thanks for that backhanded compliment, Madeline Langle. They get the occasional A and they're fine with it. They're fine with it. There is a certain, like halfway through this book, I was like, oh, I'm just reading like a pure morality tale. It was like right before Jesus got mentioned. And I'm yeah. like, oh, we're really ramping up morality. And then all of a sudden they're like, Jesus fights against the dark. And I'm like, oh, no, this is blatant morality yeah. tale because it's very much like these people are bad. Gossiping is bad. These people doing these things is bad. And it's just like a long litany of like, 
you know, you're not supposed to be like this. Meg's not supposed to be like this. She sucks. Like you have to be like Calvin and Charles who are special. That's the only way to be good. Also the list of people though that they mentioned like right after Jesus. I need to find that in this book. because It's like like, Abraham Lincoln, Gandhi. (laughs) Like it's just like, oh yeah. I think Buddha is mentioned. Yeah. (laughs) The third graders understanding of goodness, which like makes sense because again, this is written for like people who are like in upper echelon elementary school like into middle school but it is really just like broad strokes like and George Washington and then like it's like let's not mention that he owned slaves like right. it's really gross <laughs> just kind of cough while they're saying yeah. it <laughs> he was very good for some people exactly. <laughs> which is weird because again I still love this book like and I'm not taking anything like personally when people are like what the fuck because I'm also like what the fuck but like because you know I talk about a lot of people's like favorite childhood books on this show and people get very angry and I'm like no 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 my appreciation for it throughout my life changes and I understand this is a very weird book like it's written to be weird and there are moments where I'm like oh I can definitely appreciate like like you said the science fiction of it all and the world building where they're going to these different planets and they're meeting like things that give you philosophical questions like what is light and what is dark if we don't need that I'm like mm-hmm. oh mind blown as a child yeah but then you just have it layered with like oh I know what the darkness can't do it can't love I know <laughs> I mean I think the thing that like really spoke to me when I was a kid and especially at the age that I read it, there's one line that is very, very, very famous from this book and it's stay angry, little Meg, You like you can use the mm-hmm. anger. And that is something that is usually beaten out of you when you were a little girl child. You were never allowed to be angry about anything. You're allowed to be sad, which is one of the reasons why like when I get really pissed off, I just start crying. Like, I know most women do that too, where it's like you get really, really mad, especially like at work or something. And you're like, I have to go sob because it's been conditioned to me that when I'm mad, I cry because that's how I have to portray it. And you have to portray it as frustration or sadness or something like that. And to me, like the message of like, you have to stay angry because that's how you're going to overcome like people who are abusing you. I was like, Oh, that's good for 10-year-old girls to read. I'm not sure about the rest of it, but that's really good for 10-year-old girls to read. I Yeah, I go back and forth on Meg's character because, like, it does feel like Madeline Langle doesn't like her in yeah. any particular way. Mm-hmm. But also I'm like, it is really nice to learn that, like, hey, a girl who doesn't do well in school isn't stupid. You shouldn't treat her as such just because she, like, doesn't excel the way we're taught excelling looks like. Yeah. And, like – you could be kind of just a dud of a per- like you know the whole trope of not like the other girls like i feel like meg is actually the reality of not like the other girls <laughs> exactly. where it's like, just kind of like nothing special in any capacity <laughs> like and you just have one random redheaded boy being like i like the color of your eyes and you're like well this is my life like it's <laughs> because <laughs> I approached you with like two books to choose from and I was like Wrinkle in Time or Sweet Valley High and we kind of went with Wrinkle in Time but like Sweet Valley High is like the perfect embodiment of like the other type of girl yeah. book that we had to read in like the 80s and 90s that was like oh they're blonde and they're perfect and every boy wants to date them and they're both gonna run for prom queen and who's gonna win and it's just like man that's so much fucking worse <laughs> <laughs> and Elizabeth is bookish so no boy wants to date her except 
every boy wants to date her. Exactly. Like there's such a very like weird wish fulfillment that you should have it all where like Meg is a mess and her mom's like, look, you're you're having an awkward moment. You're going to grow out of it. It's going to be fine. And I do appreciate where she is like glasses and braces and like Gross hair. That- hair. gross hair and just not knowing what what her body like looks like or feels like and thinking it's never going to end I'm like no that's like a regular 12 year old she is the embodiment of a 12 year old yeah and like living in the middle of fucking nowhere where you have like (sighs) where all the only people around you are people who are talking about how like your mom still wasn't hot enough to keep a husband and it's just like yep that's small town America this blows (laughs) And I, I mean, that's yourself. really relatable. I, yeah, I, I had more of Meg's experience now that we're talking through this, but <laughs> I can relate to Sweet Valley High, I guess. Yeah. Well, and I do know that I was like listening to the like preface and it did say Madeline Langle was like raised by a playwright slash writer father and a mom who I forget, but it was like maybe on Broadway. I can't remember what she was. But they did move out to a rural area and then moved back. And so, like, there was a weird frustration I think Madeline Legle came, like, felt when she moved from a big city where weirdness was probably very accepted yeah. to a rural area where, like, you have the postmaster whispering about your mom sending yeah. a million mail letters. And they're like, she's trying to get him back. Yeah. Like, and he's just not you, answering her. Uh, the town that she lived in, it's a town called Goshen, Connecticut. And I've been there. Like, it's beautiful. But it's, like, deep ag, like, Connecticut. So it's like literally nothing but like cows and like they have two like implement places that you can get parts for your tractors. Yeah, exactly. And everybody's <laughs> got a gun rack on the back of their car, and you're just kind of like, huh, okay, because like New York City is like two and a half hours the other way, and so, but it's still like a very deep like you can only get so rural in Connecticut, but it, that is the peak of rurality in Connecticut of just, you know, and it, it's got to be very glaring of being like, oh, this this is very odd for someone who grew up in New York City. Like, it's the complete opposite end of the spectrum. So so I do feel like the book has a little bit of that desperation in it. And like, mm-hmm. I know there's something better out there. And I do think Meg has that where it's like, I don't know, she, she didn't put this on the page because literally this page is like a crisp 300 pages and a lot happens but there has to be that like we moved everywhere we only spent summers here we didn't have to interact with the locals and now we're stuck here in this area where they're just talking shit about us like yeah yeah. and they they assume that a tramp stealing sheets is like dangerous and it's like oh that is so small town it's so awful I was really shocked by the the level of threat they found that to be like (laughs) that was I know really concerning to them I know. First of all, who has that many sets of sheets in their house that like, oh, like several sheets went missing enough to make like convincing ghost display and we still have some to put on our bed. Like, I I, I, I don't have that many spare them. It's fine. I can (laughs) say that my mom owned so many sheets because we had to like buy them when we transitioned out of like childhood things and then we just kept them all because then you had to do sheets less. So you could have stolen some of our sheets, but my mom never would have noticed. She would have been like, some sheets will away like I don't know yeah but my sheets would have like dinosaurs on them not like just plain (laughs) white linen like yeah you're right those are the nice linens like oh my gosh but they were so affronted by the theft of sheets and I was like oh my god you have nothing else to worry about Mm -hmm. it's so incredible 
it's such a weird book with Mrs. What's it, Mrs. Who, and Mrs. Which because I couldn't make heads because I feel like they like live in infamy now. Yeah. But then you see how much time they spend on the page, and it's really like not that much. No. And at one point, they come back and yell at Meg when again her brother is missing. Like I feel like he's been taken by darkness, and they're like, "What do you want us to do about it?" I'm like, it's like okay. well, you kind of dumped her there so, <laughs> with very little explanation. Just like stay together, don't let Charles' ego get in the way okay see ya like what they do kind of leave her with like stay together like you like a kindergarten class and your little brother is an asshole so don't listen to him also just like charles wallace is kind of just the biggest asshole when they get to uh what's it called Karamats or Karamats? Kamazats. Thank you. Kamazats. But he like literally, they're like, hey, be careful. You're really pugnacious and you're kind of a dick about it. So like, don't, don't go into it. And then he's like, I'm going to do it. And it's just like, (laughs) no. Exactly how little kids act. You know, it's just like, you tell them not to touch something hot. And the first thing they're going to do is go, and you're like, oh, you little fucker. I told you not to. But we've been told he's brilliant throughout the entire book. And it's like, what? why? In what capacity exactly? And I never really understood why him being hypnotized by the red-eyed man, why that was exactly the way to get them to the dad. Yeah, it doesn't no. make sense to me still. I'm like, no. they couldn't have figured this out some other way. Like, that was Charles's brilliant plan. Like, I know. I'm going to let him hypnotize me. And then I'll creepily argue with Meg and everyone will know I'm hypnotized, but Meg will think other people don't realize it. And that will lead us to our dad. Yep. Yep. It reminds me of like the underpants gnomes from South Park where they're like, step one, collect underpants. Step two, question mark. Step three, profit. (laughs) And you're just like, okay. (laughs) Well, I will say that it does well for having no... Uh, it's a it's happening at a breakneck speed where like mm-hmm. Charles Wallace gets hypnotized. He takes him to the dad, but like he is incredibly creepy once he gets hypnotized. Oh, yeah, if you like think about like a four or five year old like giggling at you. I'm like, no, that's terrifying. I never want to see that happen. I'm okay. <laughs> and like the way that he's speaking is very different and everything. But also like once they find the father, Meg's like convinced that the father just does not know that Charles Wallace is hypnotized. And by like the fifth or sixth time that she's like. Dad, that's not Charles Wallace. I'm like, Meg, drop it. Yeah. (laughs) He's an adult man. He understands what a normal five-year-old is and one that's like subsumed by the devil. Right. He knows. (laughs) Also, it's so weird to have it be like, Meg, you have to go back. Because here's the thing. Your father may be Charles Wallace's father who who decided to raise him and watch him be born and raised a baby. But the dad... Hasn't been around for a while, so he doesn't love him enough. Like I'm like, why is that? Also confusing too, because they just got done like kind of berating her, like you're the least, you're like the weakest one (laughs) of all of us. You are really bad at going through the black thing, and Mm -hmm. you're probably the least likely to be able to come back. But we'll send you through again, just to just to see if it works. You're the Hawkeye of this Avengers situation. (laughs) You are the most vulnerable to literally everything. All you've got is like a general understanding of your brother who's only been around for five years. Like he's not even really a person. You know, five-year-olds, it's like tenuous about who they are. And she's just like, but I love him. Uh, He's the only one who likes her even a little bit. So like, 
Yeah, I, I guess that in itself is reason enough to go back for it. Exactly. It's like he's a poodle or something. Like yeah. my, my favorite part is that she's like, I found my dad. He's imprisoned in this weird like mall column, I think, of like space-time continuum. It's like all I could imagine was just like, you know those weird pillars that hold up the second story yes. in every mall? Like that's oh, yeah. what I imagine he was traveled, trapped in. And she's like, I've got you, dad. Now solve the problem. And you're just like, if he could solve it, he would have come home several <sighs> years ago, Meg. He's got nothing. He's out of ideas. And then he <laughs> reveals like, oh, thank God you guys got there because I was literally just about to give in. Yeah, like, like, what? <laughs> he also is like, yeah, there was another guy before me. He didn't come back. And he's just like trauma dumping on like a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old. there. And I'm like, wait a minute. What happened to him? We have an entire additional hour of talk with Laura and Hannah of Our Pod over on our Patreon, where for just a singular dollar, you can unlock this full-length episode, plus every full-length episode from this current season and seasons three and four. If you want to keep in touch with Laura and Hannah, you can find links to their socials in the show notes and their own Patreon, where I'll be guesting on a bonus episode in July, talking about my second novel, Viviana Valentine Goes Up the River, and maybe even the third book coming out later this year, Viviana Valentine and the Ticking Clock. If you're listening to our public streamer, please give FBOL a five-star rating and a nice little comment. It helps people discover the show. Truly, it does. I know it's weird, but that's how it works. Also, if you're interested in joining me on a trip to Portugal next year, find a link to learn more about our wine and literature trip to Lisbon in the show notes as well. We already have a number of signups and the first eight people get a sweet early bird discount as well. We'll be back next week with another fun conversation about books. And thank you so much for listening. I'm Emily Edwards and have a good one. <laughs>